So go read with me this morning, Second Chronicles, chapter 14. A um, couple of verses I want to read this morning. There's one key word I just want to pick on this morning to go where we are going to this morning. Um, and Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, reigned in his place. And in his days the land had rest for ten years. And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of God. He took away the foreign altars, the high places, and broke down the pillars, and cut down the Asherah poles, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandments. He took also out of all the cities of Judah the high places, the incense altars, and the kingdom had rest under him. Verse 6, he built. He built. I want you to stop there. He built. In our life, we are constantly growing and building. God's constantly working our life. Sometimes he takes our walls, he breaks them down, and he rebuilds and restructures. But no matter where we find ourselves this morning in life, we have to build. We have to grow in life. We have to put things in place to help us, to help our family mature, and we too have to mature. And the topic this morning is one that you're probably wondering, why am I dealing with it? Maturity on the Christian. Well, I'm sorry that I have to deal with it. doesn't mean I've peeked at it. But maturity and the Christian is our topic this morning. And where I got this from as I was studying at the start of the week, this same bit of scripture, it just dawned on me in the very first verse. Then Abijah rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, and his son Asa reigned in his place. How quickly did that young guy have to grow up? So our theme is becoming a man or woman of God. It's growing up in, our, in the things of God. And, and one of the key things of growing up is this, taking responsibility for our life and for our faith. That's the big key of maturity. Do you ever see an immature man? I'm sure you haven't. One of the key things you'll notice about him, he takes absolutely no responsibilities of his own actions. And likewise, immature women. Mostly men, to be fair, but men and women can be immature. Billy Graham said this, the goal of a child's life is maturity, and the goal of a Christian's life is spiritual maturity. And the verse one, what I see here is Esa, who's believed to be around about 18 at this stage of his life, quite a young lad to become a king. He goes from being a young adult to becoming a man overnight. His life changed very quickly, not unlike the new birth. But when you come to faith, the encounter of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're saved, your life changes very quickly, doesn't it? It's, it's unrecognizable in many ways. And this is what I see with this young man. His life changed very quickly. He experienced an unexpected chapter, a new chapter in his life. Yes, he knew it was coming, but perhaps he didn't just expect it to come as quick. Now, here's why. His father, Abijah, became king when Esau was around about 15 now, after just three years, his father died, and Esther had to grow up and take the control of, this, of the kingdom. I don't think for one moment he thought within three years he would be sitting on the, the throne. Perhaps in his inner man he might have hoped, I'd love to take that throne and be the king, but I don't think he expected three years' time that he would have to mature to that level. And when this happened for this young man, what I observed is that life was no longer about Esa. 
His life was now much bigger than him. He was now a ruler of Judah. And so it is with the Christian. The life that we now lead in Christ, it's bigger than us, isn't it? It's, it's not just about me and my, at least it shouldn't be. It, it's, it's so much bigger than, than just you and I now. We've got a purpose. We've got a focus, a vision. We get to not only know God, but to serve God and to be about his business. And the believer is no longer just lives for themselves. They now live for Christ and for the sake of the gospel. Yes, we've all in between, but our life is intertwined with God. And this is a journey. It's very important we say this. We, it's a journey. It takes time to grow up and mature in the Christian faith. But what is spiritual maturity? Well, there's many definitions. Let me just show one that I've come across. Man, I, I can't pronounce his name, let alone read it. So this is not mine. It's a quote. It's simple definition that I see of spiritual maturity. It says, spiritual maturity isn't measured by how high we jump in praise, but how straight we walk in obedience. That's a sign of a mature man or woman of God. It's not their expression of worship. It's not how they talk. It's how they walk. And, and that's, I think it's good for me. So our first point this morning, if you're taking notes, is the need for maturity in the house of God, which is Judah. The house of God is a church, global church, if you like. This house, if you like. The need for maturity within the house of God. Now, one thing that maturity produces is this. It produces fruit and blessing in the house of God. Now, Esther was the king over Judah, as you know, is the house of God. But before that, Esther was under the instruction of his father and mother. I want you to see this. What that meant was that their rules was his guidance. What they said was his law. We know that as parents. Every word we say, our children obey. We don't, we don't always obey the law either, to be fair as adults. I've seen some of you driving down the road just a wee bit over the speed limit the other day. We, we always break we laws, but more or less the law, our law is our children's law. But I believe the age of Esa, when he rose to the throne, is significance. Because I believe it speaks to every young man and woman who's about to enter adulthood. It speaks to those who have come to an age where they've got a wee bit of responsibility. A time where you must understand the responsibility that you have as a young adult to, to mature, to grow up, if you like, in the things of God. It speaks about the importance of responsibility in our lives. Isn't that something? Because I don't think I was ever told at the age of 18, right, Neil, you're at the age of free will, you need to be responsible and accountable for your actions. And, and that's what I see here. And that's what I feel the Lord is speaking to us today. What is adulthood? Well, it's the age of responsibility, really, isn't it? It speaks of free will. It's a time when a boy becomes a man. It's a boy when a girl becomes a woman. This can be a difficult time in a person's life. But Esther is now having to become a man. His father is gone. <clears throat> Excuse me. He is about to sit on that place of authority. And when a child grows up and becomes an adult, they, they take this seat of authority over their own life, don't we? We are sitting in a place of authority, each of us here as adults. It is your fault if you make bad decisions. It is my fault. If we make good decisions, it's, it's, it's out of our responsible actions, cognitive use of our mind, that, that we have made decisions. And some people go right through their life never making one decision for themselves, just going with the flow, being banged and battered. 
making all the wrong mistakes and repeating them. And, and, and somewhere in their mind, it's not their fault. When you and I have the power to make decisions, we sit in the place of authority in our lives. Now, if you're a really holy Christian, you'd be saying, no, you got that wrong. Jesus sits in the place of authority in our life. But you know what I mean. We get to make decisions. We take the, the seat of authority. And when a child grows up, they have this place of authority. Their father, their mother is no longer have full control or reign over them. The rules that they have been taught in childhood should help guide them. The guidance that they received as children should help them understand law. What's the difference between right and wrong? That's what we, our purpose is as fathers and mothers, is to teach our children this. What's the difference between right and wrong? The law. But the valley of decision for, for all of us, but especially young adults, can be often foggy. But nonetheless, every child must learn to grow up and become a man or woman. And likewise, every Christian must grow up in their faith and go on to maturity. Now, you've heard it said, I'm sure, that maturity doesn't always come with age. Does anybody know here? No, we're not going to even go down that road. I was going to say, a grown man that just acts like a child, but I would just be very surprised if you did. It has been said that men are slow to mature. I'm not sure how true that is, but I'm not willing to debate it. Let's put it that road. There's one thing I was told many years ago. It's a quote that I've often carried. And if you haven't heard it, Write it down and write it in your heart because it'll help you. A young fool can be tolerated, but an old fool is hard to watch. A young fool can be tolerated, many of us were that, but an old fool is really difficult to watch. Now in every generation, there's a need for godly maturity in the house of God. What this is a people who will take responsibility for their lives. And in our text, in the verse first, as we see this young boy become a man, we see that he has to now learn to think for himself. He's in the seat of authority. He has to make decisions for himself. He had to grow up and be a man. And, and the question is, and I'm sure was in them days, as this young boy become king, what type of man would he be? I wonder, was that asked? You know the Queen Mother has passed away. And the amount of times I've heard people saying, what sort of king is Charles going to be? Get young William up. He's the future. And you can be sure that this was said for Essa. What sort of man is he going to be? Remember now, if you were here last week, the family that Essa came from. We picked him pure, pure, pure Mark Mulligan last week. We'll not pick on anybody this week, but we were reminded that King Essa came from a family who was renowned for being somewhat ungodly. They were somewhat wicked. A family who were known in society for all the wrong reasons. And that could be your family this morning. It could be you. God uses people as such. It doesn't matter how broken we are. It doesn't matter what path we've been pulled from or our shock that we've been pulled out of. God takes the broken, he lifts them up and he glorifies them for his name's sake. But his family was known for all the wrong reasons. They didn't just sin. Essa's mother invented new sin. She was a great harlot of idolatry. She worshipped every idol was gone and going and even invented some. That was his mother. But Essa broke that circle of sin that we talked about and he chose for himself to do what? To follow God. And that's a decision that all of you hear of. A decision that you get to take responsibility over. He reasoned in his mind like a man. He pondered 
in his heart the things of God. And then verse 2 tells us he did what was right. He did what was right. His father did what was wrong. His mother did what was very wrong. His grandfather was absolutely no example at all, but he did what was right in the eyes of God. And what maturity I see in this young man. Now, if this mindset is found within the, the global house of God, I believe it could be the doorway that would see revival ushered in as Judah did, with Judah seen revival onto this text. To do what is good, church. To do what is right in the eyes of God. Write that in your life and you'll do well. To do what is good and right in the eyes of the Lord. And if we train our children that the law is the difference from good and evil, to do what is good and right, not in the eyes of man, but in the eyes of the Lord. And to have this mindset in the house of God, there's one thing needed, church. Maturity. Maturity. That is needed for us to do what's right and good is maturity. Now, does anybody ever see Peter Pan? You're very quiet. Yes. Peter Pan. It's all familiar with Peter Pan. Does anybody know anything specifically peculiar about Peter Pan? He's the boy that never grew up. Oh, never grew up. Now, you can search this for yourself because I just come across it. There's a condition known as Peter Pan syndrome. Would you believe it? Anybody heard of it? A couple of people are shaking their heads. I, was, I thought it was quite hilarious, really. The boy who never become a man. Now, it describes people, and I'm quoting their, their, their stuff here, it describes people who have difficulty growing up. I don't want to look at the wife at all at the moment because I've got this feeling that some of you men are all getting at the minute. There's nothing wrong with it. You don't want to be an old stickler either, man. But there is probably room for improvement. These people have difficulty growing up. And people with this syndrome, syndrome now, I say I'm quoting this now, so it's not my own thoughts. This is what it says about them after the research is done. They struggle to maintain healthy relationships with other people. They struggle to hold down a job. They find it hard to cope with, listen, adult responsibilities. They refuse to take responsibility for their lifestyle choices. A major cause that hinders these people with Peter Pan syndrome from growing up is they tend to blame others for their problems. Everything about their life is unstable, it says, because they lack the ability to be committed to anything. Now, Peter Pan syndrome. Now consider how different it would be in the lives of thousands of Christians in their homes in their workplaces, in their marriages, if they only learn to grow up and be responsible. Christi Christian maturity can be summed up with this quote. Accountability, responsibility, and loyalty are still the currency of Christian maturity. A man called Corky Calham. So there's a need for Christian maturity within the house of God. Now, the second and last point today, you've noticed we're going down to two points, trying to keep it easier, is the need for maturity. We've looked at the house of God, but now we're going to look a wee bit closer. The need for maturity within the Christian, within you and within me. Now, to help us mature in our faith, we need to seek to build healthy relationships with those in the household of faith and with other people. This can be challenging sometimes, can't it? 
because not only can Christians be difficult, but people in general are difficult. We are not difficult, but other people are difficult at times. It can be challenging. Healthy relationships will encourage us on in our faith. They will help us. Really, really good relationships will correct us when we're wrong. Help us see things from a different avenue. What about being faithful to the work? Both your own personal work and the work of the Lord that he is calling you to or has you part of. Do you turn from babes in Christ into men of God? What about recognizing our own personal responsibility to grow up and to be a mature man or woman in the home and in the faith? What about stop blaming others for our personal problems? And these are just some things that I've just looked at the Peter Pan syndrome and turned them in their head. Well, if that's what the signs of a, a man or woman who hasn't grown up, well, let's turn them in their head. And this would then be the attributes of somebody who has grown up. And that's as simple as what I've done this morning. Because when we begin to take responsibility, and I've noticed this in my own life, we begin to take responsibility for our lives, our actions, our problems begin to disappear. Because we begin to deal with them. And as we deal with them, we acknowledge them and begin to fade. And then there's that big word called commitment. And I was about to go into a lot about commitment and I stopped myself. And all I'm going to say about commitment is this. Maturity and commitment go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. You can't be committed to something without maturity. Without maturity, you can't be committed to something. Now, when Esther became king, he took this position of authority, this place of responsibility over this house of God. And the question that was hovering over the minds of the people was, well, what sort of king is he going to be? Will he be like his father, who was an unfaithful man, or will he be like his mother, who was not that great either? Or will he be a good king, a godly king? And I wonder, when you first come to faith, is that same question being asked about you? What sort of Christian will he be? What sort of Christian will she be? I wonder is that question, if we could ask it today, what sort of Christian are we? Now, Esther proved to be faithful and committed to God. And his ministry became a light to the gospel in Judah. You want to shine for Jesus, we need to mature in the things of God. And what I see is that Esther saw revival. He saw God move in ways that we pray about and talk about and sometimes dream about. He saw it. The things that we preach on, he saw it with his own eyes. He saw a nation fall to their knees and follow God, pull down all the altars and worship the Lord. He saw it. A whole nation turned to God. From total ungodliness to total holiness. We can see it, church. Not because we have the strength, but the Bible teaches it. He saw this revival, but before this could happen for him and for Judah, Esau had to grow up and take responsibility for his faith, as did the nation of God. They had to take responsibility for the way they were living, for the things that they ought not to be doing, they were doing, and they need to take responsibility. And that's what we see. And if any believer seeks to grow and mature, it takes responsibility for our faith. We must seek God for ourselves and and I believe if we do these things that we too will see revival were in our hearts, in our lives, in our homes, and in our ministries. Now one must set aside the Peter Pan faith. We have to and be committed to the Lord. Go from being children in the faith to becoming strong, committed men or women of God. Praise the Lord. Listen to what Paul says 
about this theme of children and growing up. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking. Do not be children the way you think. Now, the Bible also says we're to be childlike with our faith. Believe God, but not childlike in our behavior. Very different topic. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, he says, I set aside the childish things, the childish ways. Now, I'm going to say a broad statement, and I'm not going to look. And you can decide for yourself how wrong I am, but I believe there is within every Christian, yes, even including myself, the need to set aside childish ways. If you don't agree, the Lord bless you. If you do agree, well then let us be, take responsibility for it. There is this lovely quote I came across. Babies are so cute, aren't they? Aren't they? They're so cute. Babies, so cute? No, they're not cute. <laughs> Am I putting these guys to sleep? So babies are cute, but not when they have to shave. I thought that was really good. They're really, really cute, but not when they're standing in your bathroom shaving. 30-year-old children aren't cute. Now, here's the thing. We're going to shoot this in and really bring this home. So, Paul mentions three areas in a person's life that deals with spiritual immaturity now. Immaturity. How we talk, childish speech. How we think, childish thoughts. How we reason, childish reasoning. The most noticeable factor about a child's speech is the focus of their conversation. I wonder if you notice this. What is a child's conversation often about now? Well, it's often about themselves. In my experience, anyway. What they would like, what they need, what they want to do, where they want to go, when they want to go, what they have done and what they plan on doing. And the list just goes on. Now, our kids, when they were younger, there was these times I loved, used to love to hear them. They all at once would come running through the door and they'd try to tell you what had just taken place in their day. What would happen was each child would be speaking over the top of the other child telling us their story, and there was total chaos. And all these, they just couldn't wait to get sure what they did. And it was lovely. It's very normal for children to behave like this at a young age. But see, what I noticed about this way, and it's how we bring up children, and it's normal, but what we do, and we probably don't realize what we do, is we very early on cause our children to develop a me-first attitude. It's not intentional, because it is all about them, isn't it? We're their main... We have to look after these guys. So they naturally think the world just revolves around them because all they do is do one cry, daddy's out cold in the bed, mummy's away running down the hall. That's just how it is. Children are, are taught up to think, this is all about me. And that's fine. That's good, I think it's good. I'm not training that area. I think it's good. But what the difficulty that I see is that this type of parenting, which is all good and I believe proper, it leads to a mindset that it leads that child to, to become somewhat, to have a mindset of self-importance, if you like. But as we grow up, this self-importance, this me-first way of thinking, it needs to go. And I think there's a difficulty. If it doesn't go, we end up with adults who are so filled with self-importance and so me-first attitude that it's chaos. 
but it needs to go, and it needs to go for us to grow. Do you see what I did there? A poet. It needs to go for us to grow and mature. And I want to get a wee bit more pursy with it. The Bible says we need to nail it to the cross because it's flesh. What do we do with our flesh? We nail it to the cross and the new spiritual man comes alive. Timothy says this, for men will be lovers of themselves, speaking of the last days. That's the mark of a wicked generation. A generation that loves themselves and they're filled with self-importance. But the mature believer who wants to really get on in life and get on with the things of God and to grow out of their brokenness is to put others first. Where do you get that from, Neil? In all your wisdom. Well, Philippians 2. Let me just read it to you. Speaking to the Christian, do not out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, or do, nothing, sorry, out of, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each view the interest of others. Do you see this self-importance turned on his head? In your relationships with one another, remember the Peter Pan guy? Can't hold down relationships. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ, which is very forgiving and very graceful. Who, being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Have the mindset of, mindset of Christ, which is to put the needs of others before our own. I noticed very early on when I come to faith, my life was a mess somewhat. My head was a mess. <clears throat> and this man pointed me in the church to an older man to get involved and to help people. And it wasn't long there was parking cars and the we, we grannies couldn't drive, shouldn't be driving, couldn't park the cars. I got that wee job and doing all sorts of things. I was going to wee meetings in the homes and helping people. And all my problems started to go because I was ministering to other people. And all of a sudden my self-importance was gone. I can't understand it. All I can tell you is when I started to look at others and help others, God looked after me. And I know as many here know this to be true, but perhaps some of you have never experienced that. You haven't got past that place of, of really crucifying yourself. And right, you have a problem. Your life's not great, maybe. There's things going on within you that you struggle with. And where around you can you help others? Where can you be a support to others? Get involved in something that helps people. You will see your own problems. They'll vanish. Some examples that way I've seen over the years, if you're lonely, well, seek to comfort the, lo the lonely. Go and visit people. Go and visit an old friend or perhaps a new one. You feel left out, well, try and get involved in something. You feel unhealthy. What about starting a walking group with a few of your neighbours and friends? There's evangelism in two. Want to grow in your faith? Help others and you will in turn help yourself. And for some reason, there's a spiritual law that when we... Stop worrying about ourselves and, and get on with others. Our cup begins to overflow. It's of God. Childish speech cares about self. Mature speech cares about others. Now there's much more could be said on this topic of childish speech, but I just want to leave it there. But humility ought to be the cloak of the brother and not self-importance. Now we thought on childish thoughts, and say very, very quickly, there's very little said with this, but when saying no to our children, in the early days, this is something I noticed. When did you notice this about a child? You'll see this in some adults too, by the way, but we're sticking to children here as a safe. When saying no to our children in the early days, I recall their reaction to the word no. 
It was a wee bit over-exaggerated, their reaction now, to say the least. Now, their reaction would be similar to our reaction if we were told now that there's a meteorite going to hit tomorrow in Ireland and we have to leave very quickly or we're going to die. That would be the similar reaction that I see when we said no to our children. The world was over. Absolute dis distraught. Because no. And we need to still remember the word no sometimes. Christian thoughts are often over-exaggerated as a point I'm trying to make. It's known that our words can rob us from living the life and the joy of the Lord. One word can ruin your day. Listen, there's some words that ruin people's lives. Speaking over them, spoken over them as a child ruined their lives. We have to renew our thinking, renew our mind. But if words have the power to rob us, what does our personal thoughts have? What sort of power does that have? When we speak it over ourselves, great power. The battle of faith, according to the scriptures, is the battle of the mind. Our mind is fueled by our heart, and our heart is not to be trusted, and therefore childish thoughts is a real danger. Now, this girl called Becky Harling, I want to quote her. She read about the danger of personal childish thoughts. I just lifted two of her thoughts. The first one she said was self-pity. It's a sign of childish thought, isn't it? No, you can't have that today. Lip out, tears down life over. Self-pity. Self-pity prevents us from becoming the person God has called us to be. It wraps us up in chains of self-protection, but instead of rejoicing what God is doing in us, we become wrapped up in a victim mentality. She goes on to say, we begin to think, think things like, my circumstances are worse than everyone, are worse than everyone else's. My life is so much harder than your life. I've got it so much harder than you've got it. And that is a real thing. We know it to be true in our own lives. The second one is self-doubt. We're talking about how destructive our, our, our thinking can be. These are the doubts that torture our minds and leave us believing that we cannot be the person that God has created us to be. She says, we wonder, can God really use me? I'm too broken. Them, them too are childish thoughts. Mature thoughts help us measure who we are and what we are. Now, our thoughts have power over us. Our thoughts can hinder us from growing in our faith. Listen, our thoughts can cause us to either grow up or to give up. That's the power of the mind, and it's very real. Now, the Word of God warns the, warns the church to not trust their mind. What do we do with our mind? We test it. We renew it. Ephesians 4 says, Be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self that is created to be like God. See, the born-again man is to be like God, not like his former sinful man. In Christ, all believers are made into a new man. Renew your mind like Esther, and you will see revival in your life. See, the enemy wants to tell you lies. Why? To steal your joy, to rob you of your freedom, of the good life that Christ has promised, the abundant life, and to kill your faith. Depend what side of salvation you're on to rob and kill your soul. That's what the enemy wants, and he does it by whispering into our ear all the lies of the day. He's a great liar. But the Lord says, let the word renew your mind. See, we don't reason like a child. That's the next one. We listen for the great shepherd's voice calling to us through the darkness of this land. What is he saying now, for instance? 
Well, let me tell you what he's saying now. Through his word, not my word as some great prophet, but his word. It says this, the weapons of our warfare are not weapons of the world. Instead, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, see you think about a stronghold. When Satan gets a stronghold in your life, he gets to control your life. Do you hear that one? He gets a stronghold in your life, he gets to control your life. And God tells us, what does he say? He says, we, we tear down arguments and every presumption. See, lies in the air, presumption comes. We presume things. We tear down arguments and every presumption set up against the knowledge of God. And listen, we take captive every thought and make it, make it obedient to God. Make it obedient to God. Now, we take our thoughts captive. What's that mean? If ever been arrested here today, you'll have a rough idea. We, we put them on trial. We lock them up. We put them on trial and we cross-examine them. Now, if they're found to be innocent, we listen to them and that'll, be, that'll help us to walk in the obedience of the Lord. But if they're found to be lies based on presumption, we take them captive, the Bible says, we lock them up with no parole. And therefore, they can't rule your life. Does that make sense? The lies that is in your head, you weigh them up, you put them on trial. If it's not true, you lock them up, throw them away, and you throw away the key. That's what the Bible says. That's what God says to you and I. Or the other option is keep them there and believe the lie and live like that. That's it. Live as somebody who's got no purpose. Live as somebody who's got no value, no worth, no good for God. If you want to live like that, that's the other side of the coin. That's what it is to live under the reign of Satan or run under the reign of God. You are valued. You are free. You've got authority. In his name, you can do great things. And through you, he will use you or else you can sit broken where sin has brought you. We take every thought captive. We walk in obedience to his word and he will begin to work in us and we will begin to thrive in our faith. Last wee verse, we're finished. How do I do this? Maybe you're struggling this morning just to get to that next stage of adulthood in your faith. You feel you can't do it. 100% right. The Lord says this, for God did not give us his church a spirit of fear, the spirit of fear is of, not of God. And it stops you from doing things for you. It stops you dealing with things in your life. It stops you going on and doing what you ought to be doing and know you should be doing for the Lord, doesn't it? It stops us going on in our careers, in our lives. It stops us going on in business. Doesn't it? It's fear is a wonderful thing. God says he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but he has given us a spirit. And he says, it's this, it's a spirit of power. It's a spirit of love. It's a spirit of a sound mind. It's a spirit of a sound mind. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask the team to come. Man. I pray the Lord will just bless you this morning with that and that we would learn to take every thought captive and mature in the things of God.